What's the right balance as a parent between protecting your children and letting them experience enough of life that they wind up with a few scars? Here's Dr. Crawford Loritz. I understand the need to protect them from the evils and and the sin and the hellishness that's in our culture. But I got to tell you, protection is not development. I'm terribly concerned about this movement among some of us that wants to hover over our kids and pull them back and, and sanitize and sterilize their environments in such a way that they don't interact with the evil world, a dark world in which they were born to redeem and impact and be salt and light in. This is Family Life Today. Our host is Dennis Rainey and I'm Bob Lapine. Where does protection fit into our priorities as parents? And how much freedom should we give our children? We'll hear from Crawford Loritz on that today. Stay with us. And welcome to Family Life Today. Thanks for joining us. When I was in high school, uh, our choir sang a song... Uh, that was based on the final instructions that King David gave to his son as uh, David was dying and as Solomon was taking over. I I don't know if choirs are allowed to sing songs that biblical in in our day, but our high school choir sang this when I was growing up, and it stuck with me all these years. David's counsel to his son from a father who's dying, and he, he had wise words to share with his son. In fact, we're going to hear today from Crawford Loritz about how important and how powerful it is for a father to instruct and coach and model for his son what really matters. Crawford is the pastor at uh, Fellowship Bible Church in Roswell, Georgia. He is the father of uh, four children. He's the husband of uh, Karen, and they have 10 grandchildren. And as as you listen to Crawford share this story from the Scriptures, I want you to think about what you're charging your kids with today. Are you challenging them with a high enough standard? Are you challenging them with the right goal? Are you challenging them with an eternal goal? I think, Bob, um, we need to be putting before our children a biblical standard for how they should live throughout their lives. And uh, I think we ought to allow a story like this from 1 Kings chapter 2 to be like the song that you said you remembered all the way back to your childhood, just that it might stick in our hearts and we carry the burden of realizing we need to shape and direct the next generation. I think we'll get some good coaching from Crawford as moms and dads to know what are the important things we should be focusing on as we pass on a legacy to our sons and our daughters. Here's part two of a message from Dr. Crawford Loritz on lessons on integrity from a father who lived it. In 1 Kings chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, David is dying. David is leaving, the legendary David. And as he's dying, he calls his son Solomon in to make a grand handoff. David was consciously aware of the fact that legacies are not guaranteed. They're not guaranteed. And yet Solomon was being tapped as next in line. David was about to be in the very presence of God. 
And it's almost as if, as you read the text, the emotional context is really compelling. It's as if David is reaching out and grabbing his son, subtling by the lapels and pulling him close. And these four verses, it's almost as if David is saying, son, this is what I've lived for. These are the footprints in the sand. And I need you to embrace what you were born for. And parenthetically, as we raise our children, from the time they're little somethings, from the time they're tiny, we need to be whispering in their ears that they were born for the glory of God and for the plan and the purposes of God. This is what you were born for. And everything in your life has to be lined up for your moment in history that you're just passing through here. You're going to be very dead one day. One day God's going to say, give me back my breath. What were you born for? What are you living for? What are you doing? And it's amazing when people are dying how essence they are. All the other garbage and all the other frills and all the other stuff, it doesn't make any difference anymore. David is dying. So as he dies, he charges Solomon with these three things. He charges Solomon to live courageously. He charges Solomon to live obediently. And he charges Solomon to live faithfully. I'll say a few words and I'll be done. First of all, he charges Solomon. I want you to live, Solomon. I want you to live. I want you to live courageously. Verse 1 says, when David's time to die drew near, he commanded Solomon, his son, saying, I'm about to go the way of all the earth. Now notice this line. Be strong, show yourself a man. My time is up. It's coming to a close. The ball is being placed in your hand. Solomon, I am challenging you to press through the challenges and the opportunities of your responsibilities. I need you, Solomon, to step up. In fact, in the Hebrew, the expression, show yourself a man, literally is become a man. And I think what David was saying to Solomon, that uh, Solomon, 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 I need you to rise up to what you were born for. Um, Solomon was to become what being the king of Israel required. Required. I could get off into this, but I don't have time to do this. But I actually think, I actually think we cuddle this generation a little bit too much. I actually think we soften them a little bit too much. We don't give them what they need. I believe the text doesn't say it that perhaps David sensed some weakness in Solomon. Solomon was not like his daddy. David ran for 16 years hiding out in caves from from Saul. And David was a tough dude. And David experienced some hard stuff. He, He didn't silver spoon it. Solomon grew up with a little bit more cotton around him and a little more cushion around him and a little more options and and he had a little more resources and he had stuff to choose from. And David probably sensed in him, Solomon, I, I don't know that you have the grit and the resilience that you need to do what needs to be done. You have to show yourself a man. 
Show yourself a man. Conviction versus compliance. And I'm concerned about how we're raising some of our kids. I understand the need to protect them from the evils and, and the sin and the hellishness that's in our culture. Don't get me wrong, the margins are, are almost erased right now. I, I get that, I get that. I, we pray for our, our 11 grandkids and what they're going through. I mean, there's this, this too many opportunities for evil. But I gotta tell you, protection is not development. I'm terribly concerned about this movement among some of us that wants to hover over our kids and pull them back and, and sanitize and sterilize their environments in such a way that they don't interact with the evil world, a dark world in which they were born to redeem and impact and be salt and light in. The very thing that we don't want to happen ends up happening to them where they have content and intellectual biblical framework and clarity in their thinking, but no conviction in their souls. Because conviction can only be developed in the context of testing. A ship is safe in harbor, but that's not what it was built for. So David says, Solomon, oh, hey buddy, you have to step into some stuff. Live courageously. Don't run from the challenges, but run to God to get what you need to face the challenges, Solomon. Secondly, David is dying. Grabs his son by the lapels, and I can just hear the whisper. Solomon, show yourself a man. Secondly, he says, Solomon, live obediently. Just tender words here in verse 3. And keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules, and his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses. When you do exposition, you always have to pay attention to the emotional context. And, 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 and I think this is biographical. I think David was saying to Solomon in so many words, Solomon... It's not, not just about the Davidic covenant, not just about the promises of David. I think he had that in mind because the text says so. But I think there's something else going on here. I think David wanted his son to love God's word the way he did. He wanted him to cherish it the way he did. Solomon, you need to bring your, line, your life in line with the truth of God's word. You need to live it, not just speak it, not just quote it, not just argue your paradigms and all that stuff about it, but you need to live this stuff. You need to live it. 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 We've had this conversation with four of our kids. Our kids, uh, thank God, they're walking with the Lord. Our two sons are pastors. Our, our two daughters, they're raising great families. They love the Lord Jesus and they love his word and thank God for it. But all was not rosy and that kind of thing in our house. So they went through bumps in the road in their teenage years. And I had, with each one of them, I had this conversation. Sobering conversation. Sometimes with tears trickling down my cheeks because of choices and decisions. And I said to each one of them, I cannot walk with God for you. I can't do it. I can't obey God's word for you. I cannot do that. You're going to have to own your own responses to God. 
Your environment is not your surrogate commitment. And this is what David was saying to Solomon. Solomon, listen to me, buddy. Can't do it, man. Can't do it. I need you to cherish this book. If you're going to be successful, if you're going to make it, you're going to have to walk with God. You're going to have to love this book. You're going to have to listen to this book. And by the way, um, this whole idea of the word of God being central and prominent in our household has sort of been a theme of the Loritz family. Um, the first words our son, our, our children, and our 11 grandchildren ever heard me speak was not, oh, you're cute, honey, oh, you look like your mother, you look like your grandmother, you look like this. The very first words when I held them, our youngest grandson was born four months ago and I got a chance to hold little Hendrix. The first words he heard was Joshua 1.8, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate therein day and night that you may observe to do all that is written therein and then you will make your way prosperous and you'll have good success. And David was telling Solomon, hey, buddy, don't get cute. Don't get cute. Don't, don't think that because I'm your daddy and you've won the throne and, you know, you've inherited this, this throne at a, uh, at a very important time and, you know, I've become a living legend and, and this stuff is being passed off to you. Don't, don't, don't think that this is sustainable, that somehow or another, vicariously, my background, you can broker and that'll make you a good person. You need to walk with this, son. You need to love it. We need to raise our kids and say, you don't have to do me proud. You don't have to be anything that you think I want you to be. Take that off the table. But you do have to obey God. You've got to obey him. Walk in his statutes. David's dying. Reaches out and grabs his boy by the lapels. Solomon, you got to live courageously. Solomon, you got to live obediently. But then he says, thirdly, you, 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 you've got to live faithfully. I suppose, uh, technically, faithfulness is a subset of obedience. That, that's probably accurate, but I want to parse it out a bit here because he says here in verse, uh, verse 4 that the Lord may establish his word that he spoke concerning me saying, if your sons pay close attention to their way to walk before me in faithfulness with all their hearts. What is he saying? David is saying, hey, look, you, you, you know the mess in my life, okay? David ended well, but he had some major oops. I believe he's saying, you, you, know, you know the mess between me and your mama, okay? It's well documented. <laughs> Wasn't cool. You know about Nathan. You know about my brokenness. You know about my repentance. By the grace of God, I've gotten back on the right track, boy. And you have got to be faithful. In other words, you've got to remember where you came from. 
and what's been placed in your hands. I'm always intrigued by that story. I tell it so much about uh, the influence Sammy Davis Jr. had on a, an entertainer by the name of Gregory Hines. Some of you don't even know those names, and it just dawns on me how young you are. And one of the cardinal rules of giving illustration is that the people have to identify with it. So just bear with me. And uh, so... Sammy Davis Jr., the legendary entertainer, had a huge impact on Gregory Hines, who was also a very well-known entertainer. Uh, Sammy Davis Jr. was dying of throat cancer, and Hines wanted to pay a tribute to him. Sammy Davis Jr. had a, just a tremendous influence on Hines' life uh, and, and, and the development of a career. Gave him money and opened doors, made calls and this kind of thing, get him gigs and what have you. So here's Sammy Davis Jr. He's dying. He was always a slight man, but his body's totally emaciated. As Hines told the story, he walks into uh, uh, Sammy Davis Jr.'s living room, gives him a tribute, sits down next to him, tells him how much he meant to him. The tears are flowing down their cheeks. And so Hines leans over, realizing that this is probably the last time he's going to see him. At this point, Sammy Davis Jr. couldn't talk. The cancer had just ravaged his body and took away his ability to speak. So Hines leans over and kisses him goodbye. And as he's walking toward the door, he hears behind him this shuffling. And he turns around to his utter amazement. There is Sammy Davis Jr. And as soon as Hines turns around, he goes, what are we placing into the hands? What's been placed in our hands? What's the enduring stuff that you are doing to your kids? What are you placing before them? See, faithfulness means to obey God in the little things. It is a daily commitment to do the right, honorable things, and often the difficult things. Often the difficult things. See, to me, greatness is not notoriety. Greatness is not recognition. I, you know, somebody, I was being interviewed several years ago, and somebody said something, they heard, heard something, and they used the word, boy, you, you, you're approaching greatness or something like that. First of all, they need to get out more. But the, the other, <laughs> but when they said that, I said, no, 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 no. No, I... Greatness is buried side by side in Old Dominion Cemetery in Roanoke, Virginia. Crawford and Sylvia Loritz. Because they were faithful. Faithful. And David would tell his boy, every single day, the small things, the big things, the things that people don't see, Behind the closed doors, get after it, Solomon. Get after it. One of the greatest things you can do, rather than trying to raise your kids to be a great speaker or a great athlete or this kind of thing, this kind of thing, teach them how to just to be consistent and following through on the noble, right things. You hurt my heart, son. Why? Because Loritz, we don't steal. You show up, boy. Heard you were late for that little job you had. 
show up. Some time ago, um, my oldest son, Brian, and I, uh, we were speaking at, uh, that was a few years ago, we were speaking at the, uh, the Billy Graham Center at the Cove in Asheville, North Carolina. And uh, while we were there, I said to Brian, we had a little break in the afternoon, I said, you know, do you want to go back down to Conover, North Carolina? It's, all, it's less than an hour away. That's the old homestead. That's where, where Peter held forth with my grandfather, Milton, and where my dad was born. And uh, Brian was excited because he hadn't been there since he was a little guy. So we went on down I-40 there and got off at the Newton-Conover exit uh, and uh, snaked over the railroad tracks. I hadn't been there in years. Back to 2nd Street, I was surprised I could find my way over there. And as soon as you cross on 2nd Street, on the right-hand side is a little tiny church called Thomas Chapel Amy Zion Church. Interestingly enough, my grandfather had given the land for that little church to be built on. Behind the church, there's a cemetery. The cemetery, interestingly enough, was there before the church was there. There's a cemetery. And about a half to almost two-thirds of the bodies in that cemetery are related to Loritzes. And so as Brian and I were uh, walking around the cemetery, I was reminding him of, some of who some of these people were. You know, that's Pop's brother, your great-uncle, Wardell, and that's Uncle Hayes right there. Here's Uncle, Uncle Emery, and there's, there's Aunt Annie right there. There's your great-grandfather, my grandfather, Milton, Pop's dad, and there's his wife, Anna, right here. And as I began to just tell him about these people, I was ambushed by emotion, and I began to weep. And I said to Brian, I said, son, these people paid your tuition. They paid your tuition. And I guess the charge that I want to make to you today, as you look at your children and you look at the future, you look at a time that you cannot see and you're making the investments in their lives and doing the drudgery day in and day out and you're correcting them and disciplining them and you're laughing with them and you're going through the struggles. Are they ever going to get out of my house or all this stuff that's going on? Keep in mind, you're paying their tuition. What are you investing in them? Will they be able to live courageously? Will they live obediently? And will they live faithfully? Holy Father, thank you for your spirit. Thank you for your power. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for what you mean to us. Lord, the most intimidating thing we do is the parent. You've entrusted with us those precious lives that bear the image of our great God. There's a devil out there. There's all kinds of mess. They have their own temptations and issues. But Spirit of the living God, we pray that you'll help us to roll up our sleeves so that we can look each one in the eye when that moment comes and say, by the grace of God, I did the best I could.
We love you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for what you will do. In Jesus' name, amen. Again today, we've been listening to the second part of a message from our friend Crawford Loritz, the pastor at Fellowship Bible Church in Roswell, Georgia, a message that Crawford shared at the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, uh, their conference on parenting that was held back last fall. It's a timely message and one that we felt is important for our listeners as we try to live intentionally as moms and dads raising the next generation. And Bob, as you know, Barbara and I have been working on a uh, a book called The Art of Parenting, and it's going to be a part of really the largest resource launch in Family Life's 41-year history that'll occur in May and also next summer, where we're gonna we're gonna be uh, setting our sights on equipping one million parents. Right to raise their children to fulfill God's design and blueprints uh, for their lives. And I just want our listeners to uh, get ready to uh, maybe be a recipient of some of that training or to be a messenger. And that's a part of what Crawford was talking about here. You raise your children intentionally, but you're also thinking about the next generation. How can you send a living message to a time that you will not see? And uh, Crawford spoke powerfully about that in his message, Bob, where he's, he's really challenging us to outlive ourselves, live through our children, live through the generation to come to make an impact upon their culture and uh, the people they influence. Yeah, if you missed any part of the message, you can go back and listen online at FamilyLifeToday.com. And let me also mention, there's information available there about a new resource that Family Life has been working on for more than a year now. It's an eight-session video series called Family Life's Art of Parenting. It's going to be available for small groups. It's also going to be available online for moms and dads to go through just the two of you working through it, if you'd like. Crawford's son, Brian, and his daughter-in-law, Corey, are one of the contributors to Family Life's Art of Parenting. So is Alistair Begg and Kevin D. Young and Dr. Meg Meeker. And there's a great list of folks who join you and Barbara uh, on this video series. Again, you can get more information. You can watch a a preview of The Art of Parenting when you go to FamilyLifeToday.com and find out more about how you can order the material or how you can access it as soon as it's available in early May. We're kicking all of this off with a movie that we've created called Like Arrows. It's a movie that stars Alan Powell and Michael Lynn Hansen. Alex Kendrick has a role in the film as well, and Alex and Stephen helped us with the production of this film. It's in theaters two nights only, and we're hoping that our Family Life Today family, many of you will make plans to join us on a Tuesday night, Thursday night, bring your friends, pack the theaters, and come out to see Like Arrows. Tickets are on sale now, and you can find out more. You can see a trailer for the movie when you go to familylifetoday.com. If you have any questions, give us a call at one 800 358 6329. Finally, let me mention that we have copies of uh, the book that uh, Crawford Loritz has written called Never Walk Away, Lessons on Integrity from a Father Who Lived It. It's available in our Family Life Today Resource Center, and you can order Crawford's book where he reflects on things he learned from his own father. Again, go to familylifetoday.com to order or call 1-800-FL-TODAY. You know, I mentioned this new parenting emphasis for family life. Our goal is to begin a movement of intentional parenting, Uh, not just in the church, but we want to take this content and deliver it to people who aren't listening to Family Life Today, folks who 
may not be going to church currently. We're developing strategies to help us put this content in the hands of people who are right now far from God and far from the church, but people who are open to hearing what the Bible has to say about parenting. In the process, they'll get a chance to hear the gospel, and who knows how God might use this series in their lives. If you'd like to help us reach more people with this content, we're calculating it's going to take about $10 per home to be able to get this material in the hands of folks who are far from God and far from the church. Go to familylifetoday.com and you can make a donation to help support our efforts or call 1-800-FL-TODAY. Of course, every donation you give helps advance the mission of Family Life. You help us reach more people more regularly with God's design for marriage and family. That's what we're all about here. So, again, you can give online at familylifetoday.com or call 1-800-FL-TODAY to donate. When you do, we'll say thank you by sending you a set of seven prayer cards designed for moms and dads or for grandparents to be praying more intentionally for your children or your grandchildren. The prayer cards are our gift to you when you help support the work, and we appreciate your partnership with us in the work we're doing here at Family Life Today. And we hope you'll join us back tomorrow when we're going to hear from another man about the impact his father had on his life. Rick Rigsby joins us tomorrow. Hope you can be back with us as well. I want to thank our engineer today, Keith Lynch, along with our entire broadcast production team. On behalf of our host, Dennis Rainey, I'm Bob Lapine. We'll see you back next time for another edition of Family Life Today. Family Life Today is a production of Family Life of Little Rock, Arkansas, a crew ministry. Help for today. Hope for tomorrow.